ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರೂಪಿಷ್ಠಾ ನಮಃ ವಸುದೇವಸುತಂಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ ಪರಮಂದ ಕೃಷ್ಣಂ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೊ ಆಸ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಕ್ವಾಟ್ ಲಾಂಗ್ ಗ್ಯಾಪ್ ವಿ ವಿಲ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ರಿಕ್ಯಾಪಿಚುಲೇಟ್ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ದ ಸೆಕ್ಷನ್ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ದಿಸ್ ಬ್ರೇಕ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಶೂಟ್ ಇಟ್ ವಾಸ್ ದ ಸ್ಲೋಕಸ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಒನ್ ಟು ಥರ್ಟಿ ಸೆವೆನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ where we find that bhagavan shri krishna before entering into the discussion of karma yoga he first is trying to convince arjuna about the need to take part in the battle even from the perspective of swadharma from the perspective of swadharma also that the grief is improper that as we know that there was the four castes the four varnas in the vedic society the brahman the kshatriya the vaishya and the shudra and each caste had a definite role to play and this was meant for the integrity of the society now just bit apart from the our gita's discussion that the varna whenever the concept of varna comes we immediately think that it is one of the bane of the indian civilization it has hampered the growth of the civilization but we forget that in its true implication it was a wonderful system wonderful system where which actually gave human being its dignity its freedom it is very easy to understand nowadays in the present concept of outsourcing it's very easy to understand just say even in a hospital in a hospital a nurse remains a nurse she can never become or he or she can never become the ceo but if in the present society there's a question of outsourcing that the nurse there is a separate body of nurse and in the hospital it is outsourced it's not that they appoint the nurse they outsource it from there they are getting the nurse and in that body of that nurse body where from where all are hiring the nurses in all the hospitals in that organization which is meant for the nurse there can be a ceo there can be promotions there can be the experience holders so what it speaks of that as per your work when you are being segregated and from where others are outsourcing others are using you then in your group you can go to the topmost if you have skills you have capabilities you have experience and that's exactly was the concept of the varna as per your caste in if you just uh compared the other society where the hierarchy was very strong in the western society the king under the king everyone is under the king and they just have to follow his commands in the vedic society even now if you go to an indian village in the brahmin family when there is a marriage there is a wedding ceremony he has to go to the even that each and every professional professions of the village the varnas because each and everyone has a role to play in that marriage ceremony the barber who cuts the hair the brahmin has to go and request him will you come and just because that's a part of the ceremony you have to do that hair cutting you have to do there are so many other activities for all the varnas are involved they all have to be invited it's not that he is ordering he has to invite and that person with full dignity comes the cook comes with full dignity gets his remuneration yeah, that we have exploited the system that's different thing 
but the basic idea behind the system was actually to maintain the integrity of the society with dignity. Each and every caste has his own dignity. You have to go and request him, hire him, remunerate him properly. There is no question of subjugation there. So that was the idea behind the system, which actually was maintaining the integrity of the society where each and every caste had a role to play in the welfare of the society. It was like a teamwork. So here also we find as a Kshatriya, it's to take part in a righteous work is his duty. So in the 31st sloka, which we studied in the last class, that Bhagavan is trying to convince Arjuna that to take part in the war is justified even from the Swadharma point of view. That as a Kshatriya, you are supposed to take part in the righteous work. So what he's saying in the 31st sloka, Swadharmam api chavekshya na vikampitum arhasi dharmyat hi yudhyat sreyonyat kshatriyasya na vidyate. That considering your own dharma, Swadharmam api cha aveksha. Even if you consider from your own Swadharma point of view, na vikampitum arhasi vikampitum, you shouldn't waver. Dharmyat hi yudhyat. If there is a righteous war, know it for certain for a Kshatriya, nothing can be better. It's an opportunity for a Kshatriya by taking part in the righteous war to immediately evolve spiritually. That idea we will be just reiterating, again explaining a bit when we go to the succeeding slokas. We will find it's a wonderful idea when not what to speak of Arjuna, even when Yudhishthira wanted to renounce kingdom after the Mahabharata war, what Bhishma told him was very interesting. It's in the Mahabharata. Danda evahi Rajendra Kshatra Dharma Namundanam. That to give, means what you say that uh, as a Kshatriya, to exercise power over the people, not to exploit them, of course, but to serve the people. You exercise power over them to serve them. That is your dharma. Namundanam, not to shave your head and become a renunciate. So the same idea we find Bhagavan here. Bhagavan Sri Krishna here is trying to explain to Arjuna that your swadharma is to take part in righteous war. Now the question, what is righteous war? So this that many in the present world also we find that so much of violence is going on in the name of righteous war. But when you say that you are, the others are terrorists, the terrorists from the terrorist point of view, they will say, no, it's a righteous war. So this, this question of righteous war itself is something which we have to understand it's from its proper perspective. What is righteous war? So when there is no aggression, you are not going to annex others' property or land, but to establish peace where already the peace has been disturbed, peace has been broken, or once property has been annexed, once land has been annexed, once right has been exploited. So to establish peace, to bring back the equilibrium in the society, then when sometimes war is essential. There is no other way left out other than the war to get rid of the unrighteousness prevailing in the society <clears throat> for which the entire society is being badly affected. Then war do become the only, only resort. But at the same time, it's very difficult to really judge what is justified and what is not. But at the same time, it is something which is going to be with us as a necessary evil. It's an evil, no doubt it's an evil, but it's a necessary evil sometimes. 
for thinking of the welfare of all, sometimes war is the only option left out. And on such occasion, to retreat from the war is a sin. A soldier, a Kshatriya, at that time, if you say, no, I want to just lead a peaceful life. I don't want all this aggression. It's a sin at that time. That's what Bhagavan will be saying in the next sloka. What he's saying? Yadrichaya chopapannam swargadwaram apavritam sukhina kshatriya partha labhante yuddham idrisham. So first he's saying that the positive side of it, that when you take part in a righteous war, and then for what happens, even if you die in such a war, know it for certain that the heavens, the doors of the heavens will open up for you. Yadrichaya. It's not that you have annexed. It came. The situation is such that the war is there inevitable. So you are not seeking war. It is something as a duty you have to take part of it. That is Yadrichaya Cho Upapannam. It has came by itself. The situation is such that the war is inevitable. In, to take part in such a war, you know it for certain, even if you die, the, the doors of the heaven will open up for you. Swargam, Swargadwaram, Apavritam. It will open up. Sukhina Kshatriya Partha. Such a Kshatriya is going to be happy in it by getting a chance, an opportunity to sacrifices life for some noble cause. Now, what's the idea? Is it some just an allegory just to uh, motivate the people for war? I don't know what is going to have, have, have after, uh, what is going to be there after my death. It is just trying to make me believe that there is going to be a heaven for you or is there even some real justific justifiable reason behind what is being told by Bhagavan in this sloka. So in this life, even in this life, you will find that whenever we have to annihilate our ego for the welfare of others, that in the long term brings happiness for all. Recently, I was reading one article that in their Darwin's theory, they say survival of the fittest. The articles, the title is survival of the kindest. That there were so many other human traits. Only the homo sapiens have survived. Others have totally been annihilated. So previously it was thought it is that there was a there was some type of war, some fight. And is the Homo sapiens who have exterminated all other races at last to reign the world, they alone remain. But now, as for the discoveries, what has been found is very interesting that somehow the Homo sapiens found out that it is by cooperation, it is by cultivating kindness. It is by cultivating uh, altruism that we actually gain in strength. It's called win-win situation. It's the synergy. It's there throughout the nature. As so many examples we give, that redwood trees, they don't, their roots, they're so high, but their roots never go deep. Then how come they can withstand for years, for they live for hundreds of years? They can. Uh, survive all the natural disasters, the calamities, the storm. It never, nothing happens to them wherever there's a redwood forest. A wonderful thing has been found that this red, when a single sapling comes out of a redwood, all the big trees immediately will extend their roots to intertwine with those young roots of the sapling. And that, that's how they form a strong base Though their roots are not going very deep into the earth, they have found a very strong base. And that gives them the, the strength to withstand all the natural harshness. So this is the question of cooperation. In nature, everywhere you find 
The coral reef is another example of synergy. There are so many innumerable examples that wherever we tried to cooperate with each other, we actually gained in strength. That, that energy became synchronous, synchronous energy synergy that enabled us to win, not at the cost of others. It's win-win, both of us win. And the human beings were the only, this homo sapiens were the one who adopted this trait, this aspect, let us cooperate. And that actually enabled them to survive when others became extinct. It's not because of war, because somehow they were more individualistic. So we will find that actually uh, unselfishness is enlightened selfishness. When you are unselfish, you are actually selfish. You are really doing good to yourself by subduing your ego and helping others. And that way you survive, you enable others to survive. So throughout the, the plan of life is whenever you annihilate your ego, that results in flourishment. In the war, in a righteous war, what is happening? Any righteous war, it, it always speaks of some ideal of, to which you're holding. Your ideal has become just like your child. Just the way the mother is ready to give away her life, sacrifice her life for the child. She loves the child so much that to save the child, she's ready even to give away her life. That speaks of the annihilation of the ego, of individualistic idea. That happens in the righteous war. That you are ready to give away your life. Even your death is welcome for the welfare of many. So this speaks of evolution. Here, hereafter. If you believe in this that there is a post-mortem existence, even hereafter, the more we practice the annihilation of ego, that always speaks of your evolution. And that evolution is not at the cost of others. You evolve along with you, the others also evolve. Your own liberation, as well as the welfare of all of the many. So that speaks of the swarga. So when you're taking part in a righteous war, know it for certain, it only speaks of your evolution. It is in no way going to annihilate you. Yes, physically we may be annihilated, but we all believe that we actually are a psychical wing. It is the mind that continues birth after birth. Just the way our nails come out from our body and we just cut them, again the nails come out. This physical body is just like the nail as per our shukshma sharira, the mind is concerned. From that mind like nails, the bodies are coming out one after the other. The death means sparing of the nails. Again, a new body comes as per the sanskaras. So this change in your psyche because of your annihilation of the ego, that's evolving. That transformation is something for better. So you get better and better life. The more we can practice the annihilation of ego, subduing of the ego, the more we are evolved. Even in our day-to-day -day life, a child has some pocket money and when returning from school, immediately may go to the McDonald's and whatever he is possible with the money he may grab. He's, he won't give a second thought. Yes, I have money, I will spend it, it's mine. The same boy when he grows up, he's the father. It's not that the father never wants to have those same sorts of things which the child like. He also wants, say, seeing the, uh, what, the restaurant, he also feels like going and having the food. But the moment he goes there, now his father, the responsibility has, he has to shoulder the responsibility now. The same child when he's the father, now he's a changed man. The greed takes him there. But the moment he is there in the shop, immediately the picture of his children, of his family, that comes to his mind. What he does, instead of grabbing it immediately, he purchases the thing, buys the thing, brings it home, shares it with all. The same child who was eager to grab anything on the spot has now become irresponsible. What it speaks of, 
evolution. So wherever there is the annihilation of ego, that's the law of the nature. God has found expression as the universe. How? Om, the absolute reality, has found expression as rim, the energy. And that energy is not chaotic. It follows certain rhythm. In Sanskrit, they say rhythm is satyam. What is rhythm? From this word rhythm, English word rhythm came. Rhythm. Rhythm is that energy which is the expression of the Lord. This entire phenomenal existence is nothing but energy. Everything can be converted into energy. That Shakti is again not chaotic. It finds expression as certain laws. The gravitational law, any law. That's why that famous quotation of Einstein. What's that? That the most incomprehensible fact of the universe is that it is comprehensible. It's a wonderful statement. That this universe is such large compared to that universe. I feel I am such a small being crawling on the surface of earth like an insect. But one thing we forget, it is this human being, this small creature crawling on this earth. With his mind, he can comprehend the laws of the entire universe. How he does it? Because he knows for certain that the laws are universal. If I can discover the laws of gravitation sitting here on the earth with accuracy, I can launch a satellite and have a soft landing on the moon. How is it possible? I know it for certain that the same laws of gravitation, which is uh, valid here, is valid there too. So this entire energy is finding expression as laws, even in the physical laws, the magnetic laws, the uh, gravitational laws, electromagnetic laws, it's valid everywhere. But it doesn't stop there. Even the moral laws, all the religions you will find, they speak of do's and don'ts. There are commandments. We say nowadays, they're all relative. They're all human made. No, laws cannot be broken. That's the way I cannot break the law of gravitation. If I say I don't believe in gravitation and I jump out of a 20-story building thinking that I will fly as I don't believe in the law of gravitation, are you going to fly? You're just going to crash and die. That if I, I can never break the law, law is law. In our attempt to break the law, we, can, we will break ourselves. And that's what happens even with the moral laws. They are laws. And the universes have to follow it. Synergy is a law. Cooperation is a law. Altruism is a law. If I think I don't believe, I want to lead a selfish life. Apparently, it may seem I am flourishing. In end, it is going to destroy me, destroy others. Because Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, yes, that is there some eternal truth or is it all man-made? Ramakrishna used to say, no, there are eternal truths. And then, he will give a very nice example. What's the eternal truth? If you take a chili, you are bound to feel hot. Now you may say, what is the eternal truth about it? Very interesting statement, very simple. And we miss the point. So simple statement. That when you are in, you have, you're having your food, there is a chili just in front of you in a separate dish. Whether I take the chili or not, that's my option. I may, I may not. But I will take the chili I will eat it and I won't have that hot sensation. Is it going to be? No. If you don't take, well and good. But if you take, you're bound to have that hot sensation. So these laws are laws. Whether I follow it or not, it's up to me. But once I'm following, if I'm following it, it has definite result. If I'm not following it, it has its own definite result. So know it for certain, this is a law. Wherever you are trying to relate to the world through synergy and for which it entails the dissolution of the ego. You or your interest is primary. My interest is secondary. Know it for certain. That entails your evolution and at the same time, the evolution of others, not at the cost of others. So that's the idea behind this when this righteous war is there in front of you to take part in it even at the cost of your own physical annihilation, speaks of your spiritual evolution. That's a wonderful idea we found on the 32nd sloka.
the next sloka speaks of the contrary that if you do not take part then you will be doing papa it's a sin atha chetvam imam dharmyam sangramam na karishyasi tata swadharmam kirtincha hitva papam avapsyasi and if if however atha chet tu imam atha chetvam imam atha chet tu imam atha chet this if you however don't take part if you refuse this dharmayam sangramam na karishyasi if you refuse to take part in this righteous work that dharmaya word is important not it is not simply sangrama out of rage out of anger there is a justification behind it dharmayam sangramam it's a righteous word if you don't take part it tata swadharmam kirtincha hitva papam avapsa so you will be abandoning your dharma the dharma pakshatriya swadharma and kirti your reputation is gone people will speak all sorts of ill about you and not only that know it for certain you certainly will incur sin papa just the contrary now you may say how come what's the papa in it i'm not taking part in word of course it's a type of passive goodness that okay i am not actively being involved in helping the society but at the same time i'm not harming anyone i'm just retreating what's the papa in it so well what's the definition of papa and punya paropakara punyaya papaya parapiranam as simple as that doing good to others is punya whatever inflicts me the same infliction if i bring to others that is papa papaya parapiranam just to do pira what is pira that all inflicts me the same thing i take as a means to inflict others they are all papa so now here i am not inflicting anyone then how i am the not taking part in the war is a papa but in the yoga sutra very nicely the hingsa has been defined that any hingsa is of course parapira hingsa violence aggression is parapira you are disturbing others but if i am not taking part in the war in the yoga sutra they say this hingsa can be three types krita karita anumodita either i myself do it krita karita i myself don't do it i hire someone for inflicting pain on others killing others i hire someone karita or anumodita when someone i know is inflicting pain on others i see and keep quiet as if i am giving my approval that this all these three are the various categories of hingsa so when the right when a kshatriya a soldier who is supposed to take part in the righteous war is retreating from there he is actually actually speaks of anumodana he is anumodita he is allowing it so that's why it is hingsa it you are actually encouraging parapira and thence it is papa so you are actually by retreating you think that i am a sadhu no actually you are doing a sin you are incurring a sin by not doing the duty you are supposed to do so that's what bhagwan says the 34th shloka it speaks of the personal reputation akirtin chaapi bhutani kathaishyanti te vyayam sambhava sambhavitasya chakirtim maranat atirichyate that people will speak you of as a coward as a deserter akirtim chapi bhutaini kathaishyanti te vyayam sambhavitasya chakirtim maranat atirichyate and to live a life with by losing one's reputation is as good as death as committing suicide because it's your reputation that allows you to coalesce with others the moment people start that you lose your reputation people lose faith on you there is no question of coalescing with other synergizing with all so there cannot be any uh, heinous existence compared to that where the entire society has boycotted you because they have lost faith in you they know that you are a coward when you are needed you won't be available they have no faith in you 
what's the need of what's the use of such type of existence it is as good as death bhayad ranat uparatant 35th shloka masyante tvam maharatha eshaang chatvam bahumata bhutva yasyasi laghavam laghavam laghu laghavam all will speak very light of you ill of you that you will lose all your esteem that as it is so means that there is a famous quotation of the of warren this buffet that it takes 20 years to build a reputation and just 5 minutes to ruin it so all the reputation which you have developed for years together as a good soldier as a brave soldier it takes just with one decision it's gone so if you think about that you will think differently you will do these things differently that's what uh, krishna is saying to arjuna भयाद्रनादुपरतंग then when you find that everyone is speaking ill of you your enemies will speak many words that shouldn't be uttered all sorts of thing first of all you have retreated now so many things they will say which is just the product of their fertile imagination but at the same time we will find that those thing are more uh, what you say that it causes more suffering that i have certain intentions for which i retreated and people are spicing up with all their imagination and that can make your suffering multifold intensified so that's what bhagwan is saying the, the the last sloka in this section but from the point of swadharma that uh, krishna is trying to convince arjuna about the justification of the war that's the 37 sloka हतोवा इस कंक्लूशन ऑफ दिस सेक्शन हतोवा प्राप्स्यसी स्वर्गम जित्वावा भोक्ष्यसी महिम तस्माद उत्तिष्ठ कौंतेय युध्याय कृतनिश्चय सो यू आर नॉट गोइंग टू बी लूजर इन एनी वे इफ यू डाई इन दिस राइचियस वॉर यू आर गोइंग टू गेट हेवन हतोवा प्राप्स्यसी स्वर्गम जित्वावा भोक्ष्यसी महिम एंड इफ यू विन यू बिकम द किंग ऑफ द एंटायर वर्ल्ड यू एंजॉय the earth so therefore arise o son of kunti with a resolution to fight tasmat uttishtha kaunteya yudhyaya kritanischaya so hereafter after that's we that's we find that this is the sign of a great teacher he takes a problem and try to solve it from various perspective we don't know that which may be the catch point for which student all the students are not alike so when you are dealing a subject from the various perspective one perspective may be helpful for one the other perspective may be helpful for other so here also krishna is doing that after speaking of swadharma now he will bring into his discussion the spiritual factor gradually by introducing the subject of karma yoga from the very next sloka the real motive for action is to get established in karma yoga or equanimity in action so where one performs action without hankering the results so that's the thing which sri krishna will be now introducing in his discussion he will be initiating the instruction of karma yoga from the next verse after speaking of swadharma let's enter into the 38 sloka what he saying sukhe dukhe same kritva labha labhu jaya jayo tato yudhyaya yujyasva naivam papam avapsyasi sukhe dukhe same kritva let the pleasure and pain both we sama because alike regarding alike pleasure and pain sukha dukha labha alabha gain and loss jaya ajaya victory and defeat regarding alike 
pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat. Sukhe dukhe, sami kritva, labha, alabhau, jaya, ajayau. Tato yudhyaya yudhyasya. So with this type of attitude, with this type of attitudinal correction, with this motivation, get ready to take part in this battle. Prepare for this battle. Tato yudhyaya yudhyasya. Naivam papam avapsasi. In that case, in no way you're going to incur sin. So here, the idea of this, the concept of karma yoga is being introduced. But not being exalted by one and depressed by the other. This world is full of polarities, dualities. Sukha, dukha, labha, alabha, jaya, ajaya. This, the world is, the duality itself speaks of the world. Thus, existence is bound to have these dualities. So how the world is, is not the cause of suffering. The fact is not a cause of suffering. The happenings of life is not the cause of suffering. How we react to the situation, that's the cause of suffering. It's even in the modern uh, psychological terms, that's what we always say. That the situation never is the cause of suffering. How you react to the situation is the cause of suffering. So now many say that Bhagavata, Bhagavad Gita is a scripture where is a scripture for the provocation for war. It's not a provocation to take part in the war. It's actually war is just an incidental. Here Arjuna is in the battlefield. Krishna, as a world teacher, has to instruct him as they're in the battlefield, so the word Sangrama will come again and again. If he was in some uh, corporate world, then the, the same, instead of war, he would have spoken of that corporate culture where you have to take part, you cannot run away in the present world. We find that many are complaining that it's almost we get uh, crushed in this the what you say that the in the politics in the uh, competition that is going on in the work field, and many think of just uh, what you say that coming back retreating. Even there also, if Krishna would have met someone facing that situation, instead of the word sangrama, he would have spoke of the corporate culture there. So war is just incidental. As Arjuna is in the battlefield, so the question of war is coming in and again. But know it for certain, when Krishna is speaking this word, that Sukhe Dukhe Samekritva, Labha Alabha Jaya Ajayo, many tend to uh, relate this type of instruction with Stoicism. In the West, there is a part or a, a philosophy called the philosophy of the Stoics. But don't react. So it actually speaks of that like becoming, it's regressing. The don't react means as if we are regressing into a veggie or into an inanimate object. An inanimate object never reacts. You just pierce your knife into the cabbage, it never reacts. It's a veggie. So are we to become like veggies? So that's one many of us will be mistaking when we study the Bhagavad Gita. It's not stoicism. It's actually, as you will proceed with the Bhagavad Gita, we'll find it is actually by being relating to the divine, to the spiritual dimension of our existence, by constantly keeping in mind that we are the instrument in the hands of the divine. It is he who is working through us. We are the mere instrument. So without seeking, neither seek not, avoid not. If you have to feel yourself as an instrument in the hand of divine, we are all instruments in the hand of divine. We don't know how we took birth. It's not that I will. It's a part of it. It's a huge cosmic game is going on in which we are all incidentals. It's a part of that huge of which we have no even inkling idea 
our intellect cannot reach there. So whatever situation in life I am, I can only be thankful that I cannot blame others for all sorts of, uh, even the, I cannot blame a criminal for all the crimes he is doing. He is in such a situation. Just to give an example, that uh, I read it in one of the Reader's Digest that when a serial killer was interviewed, VG Vijayanar have an idea that he is a criminal. The society, he should be segregated from the society. There cannot be any compassion for such a people. But if you hear to his interview, even you are bound to have a type of sympathy for him. What he's saying is very interesting. That when I, I was born as a refugee, in a refugee camp, for years together we were in refugee camp, and there the entire situation was so volatile, everyone, because of, out of so much of desperation, that the, the aggressive aggression became their nature. So when I went to one of the refugee schools, I find that all are bossing over me. I was a bit weak, weakling. My seniors are bossing, even my uh, classmates are bossing over me. On one of my birthday, my father presented me a watch, wristwatch. Wearing that wristwatch, proud of it, I went to the school and immediately one of my seniors started bossing. Open the watch, give it to me. I thought he's just kidding. I never gave importance to it. And then he started insisting, give the watch or I will stab you on your wrist. I thought he's again kidding. It doesn't mean it. But he literally did it. When I didn't hear him for two, three times, he's from nowhere, he brought from his bag, he took out a knife and really stabbed me. And I was frantic. So seeing the blood oozing out, I started running. I came out of the school, ran, ran, went back to my father, to the camp where I was staying, showing my father that I need a immediate first aid. I'm bleeding. The father immediately went inside the house. I thought he must probably have gone to bring the first aid. Instead, he brought a knife, gave it to me and told, go back to the school, stab the boy who stabbed you. And this is how I grew up. Now you think, aren't I, I am lucky, you are lucky, that we got somehow a very stable family, loving father, loving mother. That's where we grew. And when you find that someone from the very childhood has grown up that way, to develop that type of nature, won't you feel sympathetic towards that person? That there is a background which is behind that person's apparent behavior. So it's not a question of punishing. It's a question of rehabilitation. So why we are saying all those things? We are all instrumental. A huge divine play game is going on. All the levels which we give, good, bad. It's just from our point of understanding. As Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely, when two puppies are fighting, the mother dog is just lying lazily in a shade, just watching the puppies fight, thinking it to be a childish game, childish prank. She is not at all bothered about the fight which is going on between the puppies. But if you see the psyche of the puppies, they are thinking, I'm going to kill the other. For them, the other is the devil for the time being. Both are thinking the other to be the devil. I am justified for whatever I am fighting. The mother knows it's all childish prank. So it's something that what's our level of awareness, consciousness is from where good, bad, all those levels do have meaning, but from some different level, it has no meaning. We don't know, we have, cannot relate to that. But one thing I can say that with my limited understanding that I am a part of the game where I'm part, taking part in a limited role, being an instrument in the hand of the divine. So I neither seek anything, nor do I avoid anything. Whatever situation he has placed me, he or he has given me, he or she, the divine can be feminine, whatever you believe. He or she has given me certain faculties to cope up with the situation in which she has kept in the best possible way. I use my faculties in my best possible way to cope up with the situation and there it ends. Result, I'm not bothered. After all, it is his game or her game. Seek not, avoid not. 
But Swami Vivekananda, whenever he used to define renunciation, that's what he used to say. Renunciation, we means seek not. But we forget, avoid not, it is also a part of renunciation. When you, when you try to avoid, actually you're seeking your comfort zone. You're seeking security zone. It's not avoidance. You're avoiding the challenges to seek the comfort zone. So it is, avoid not is also a very important dictum when you take that definition of renunciation into consideration. Seek not, avoid not. With this attitude, not with the stoicism that I have become a veggie, whatever the real world uh, has to do with me, I'm not bothered. I try to become, I just try to, uh, what do you say that, um, uh, like uh, before the operation, that the patient is, uh, uh, what I say that, uh, anesthesia, it is not an anesthetic effect. You're fully aware, you're fully aware of what's going on, but you are trying to be detached. It's not anesthetic, you're trying to be blunt. You're fully aware, but you know that I'm just the instrument in the hand of the divine. He has placed me in such and such situation. At this situation, this is the thing I'm supposed to do. I do that and there it ends. The more we can do that, the more we are at peace with ourselves, the more you, we are the, the productive member of the society, doing effectively the thing which we are supposed to do. So for seek not, avoid not, we have to be performance oriented, not result oriented. Karma Yoga speaks of that. The performance, many things of Karma Yoga, that's the wrong way of understanding that as I have nothing to do with the result, so my performance also gets affected. I just do. Uh, the thing that just uh, somehow casually I do, I'm not bothered about the performance itself. That's not Karma Yoga. I perform to the best of my ability. Whatever capacity God has given me, I perform. I cannot offer anything to the divine, which is not the best. If I have to offer a fruit, I don't offer some uh, rotten fruit to the divine. If I have to offer my action to the divine, it has to be the best part of me. I do it to its perfection. So it is performance oriented. So this, uh, these are the clues in understanding Karma Yoga. Otherwise, in India, in the name of Karma Yoga, we find that for ages together, there was no work culture. Oh, after all, uh, these are all of no use. There is no work culture. No, uh, what do you say that, uh, that people cannot depend on others because everyone is so casual about what they're supposed to do. India, they say that the people are very, very, uh, their, their effort is till they get a job. All the work they do till they get a job and they stop doing all the work once they get the job. Means that's the time they're supposed to start doing the work. They stop doing work when they get the job. Before that, they were really working hard. Why? That from the wrong idea of Karma Yoga. That if I'm not dependent on the result, why to do it correctly? No, as I'm going to offer it to the divine. He has placed me in a particular situation of life to take a particular role. That example, which even Sri Ramakrishna gives in the gospel, you say you are going to help others. How are you going to help others? Well, you are such a minute, small creature. It is the God who has implanted love in you. And when you are loving even your child, when the mother is loving the child, is the mother loving the child? Can she claim that she loves the child? Any creature loves the, their, their young ones. Go to the animal world. Even a dear mother dear is ready to give away a love for the young one. From where that love came? God has implanted that love in the mother. Mother is bound to like the child. If the mother thinks I am loving the child, she is going to suffer because there will be expectation. If she knows that it is the love which God has implanted in my heart to take care of her creation through me, then it becomes karma yoga. I am just, the child is not mine. I am just the, what you say, the channel through which a being came with his own samskaras. I cannot water a mango tree to become a jackfruit. It will be what it is. I just nurture it. It has its own samskaras. I am just the channel through which the divine love is working, who is taking care of the creation. Seek not, 
avoid not. Do your best. Be at present. That itself becomes a big meditation. When we are doing a work, if you're constantly thinking of the result, you're agitated. And your work is also getting affected because half of your mind is busy with the what result I'm going to incur. Just Sri Ramakrishna's example, when two players are playing chess, the third one sitting and witnessing always says the correct move. The two players are faltering. Why it happens? Is the one who is on looker, he's a good player? No, if when he plays, he also starts faltering. Now, then why does he say the correct move when he or she is not playing? Because he or she has nothing to do with the winning or losing. His or her mind is entirely focused on the game. The one who are playing, half of their mind is full of worries and tensions and anticipations and expectations. Expectation that I have to win. Anticipation, worry, fear, I may lose. That's deluding half of their mind, clouding their mind. They cannot focus fully. The one who has nothing to do with the winning and losing, one is watching. He gives the full mind on the game. And that's why he can say the correct move. So the more we are at present, we are actually helping in both the way. We are more focused. My mind is not getting scattered. That itself speaks of the equipoise, calmness, meditative state. And at the same time, it automatically results in better action, even from the worldly point of view. If I stop worrying, because worrying is not going to change the outcome. If I go on worrying whether my I'm going to retain my job, is it going to really help you? But if I go on doing what I'm supposed to do, that itself will take care because I become a more an asset than a liability because I'm doing something perfectly. And naturally, that takes care of itself. The result automatically follows. So stop worrying. We at present, we equipoised. That's why when Sri Swami Vivekananda met Pavhari Baba for the first time, he was a bit surprised that Pavhari Baba was a realized soul, but he will do all his household duties himself meticulously. When he used to wash the utensils, cleans the utensils, polish the utensils, the brass utensils, copper utensils, which he used, which he used for his rituals. He will make them shine. For, for He will take a lot of time to cleanse them, to polish them. And Swamiji was perplexed that a realized soul is keeping himself busy in such small trivial activities. And he couldn't uh, keep his uh, this inquisitiveness within himself. So he asked him, but Swami, how come that you being such a realized soul, thus yourself taking care of all these trivial activities that also so meticulously? What he told was a revelation for Swamiji. Jan sadhan tan siddhi. That whatever you are doing, jan sadhan tan siddhi. Forget all goals of your life. Even to forget, realize God. Forget. When I am washing the utensil to wash it properly, that's the immediate goal of my life. That's my siddhi. That I have to cleanse it perfectly. Forget about God. Jan sadhan tan siddhi. That speaks of your mind gets tremendously focused. It is the same mind with which you are going to sit for meditation. If throughout the day you allow your mind to be scattered, you have never practiced, you have never taken the preliminary steps preparations for your meditation. With that scattered mind, you sit for meditation and think, my mind will get concentrated in a minute. How is it? Throughout the day, it was scattered. So that itself becomes a practice to do the thing perfectly, be at present, forget the past, forget the future. Future is not in my hand. Past, I cannot change. Let the dead bury the dead. What has been done, been done. I cannot. This life has no uh, replay button. I cannot go back and change what I have done. You cannot do it. What is done is done. Forget it. Let the dead bury the dead. Let me forget about the future. Past is not in my hand. I cannot change it. Future, I don't know what is there waiting for me. It is so unpredictable. With all my efforts, I cannot say with full certainty what is there waiting for me. What is in my hand is my present. What I do with my present, I am the full master of it. I can decide how to use a present. So be at present. That's the Karma Yoga. Be at present. Forget about all those 
dualities, sukha, dukha, lava, alava. Know yourself. Like it is not a stoicism. You are an instrument in the hand of divine. He has kept you in this situation. He has given you certain faculties to deal with that situation. Use them fully and just offer it to the divine. Let him do what he has to do with it. And then the fulfillment of the existence of our this limited existence will start shining forth through your life. In this life, we constantly go on doing things, thinking that it is going to make us happy. We all want happiness. But what has happened with us? We all want happiness, but somehow we took the wrong path to happiness. No one wants suffering. That we give that example so many times that there is a mango tree and there are two walls. And you think that just to climb the wall, uh, if you climb the wall, you will get the mangoes. Uh, it will be near your hand. So you somehow manage to get a ladder, put the ladder on a wall and you climb up. After climbing up, you find actually you have placed the ladder on the wrong wall. The other wall was nearer to the tree. If you have placed the ladder on the other wall, you would have got the mangoes. This is a far reach for you. So what it speaks of, that same effort, as for the effort is concerned, same effort would be in putting the ladder in either of the wall and climbing up, the same effort. But in one case, the mango is far reach. In one case, it is in your hand. So the question is in which wall you have kept the ladder? In which wall you have kept the ladder? So in this life, if the orientation is not proper, with all our effort, the entire world is running after happiness. Why they so much suffering? Because we have all kept the ladder on the wrong wall, the wrong wall of expectations, competition, fight. It's just on the opposite. The wall of resignation to the will of the divine. And that doesn't mean that I become a, like a veggie doing nothing. I use all my faculties. Resignations means that the God has given certain faculties. I don't know why he has kept me. There, because there's again the come of that I don't ask why, why you have kept me in this situation. There the question of resignation comes. What's going to be the outcome? There again I resign. It's from the God's hand. But at the same time, I don't resign what I'm supposed to do. That I do. Yes, he has kept me. He knows. I do all the things with all the faculties which he has given me. I mean, that's, there's a, they are not mine. My intelligence, my love, all the things is something given by the divine. I use them and there it ends. And that can speak of really getting the mango. That our Sridharanji always speaks of karma yoga is a yoga which speaks of cash down payment. That the happiness you get immediately you don't have to die and go to the heaven for this post-mortem existence for getting the happiness. Here itself, practice it. You get it just instantly, immediately. So many times we have indicated that when the children in the hostel, in the school, we were there, we asked them for some voluntary job, like serving the people who have came for the public celebration, the food, the khichdi. If at the beginning, they will try to avoid because they know it entails a lot of effort, labor. They want to avoid. If somehow we insist them and they start doing, it becomes difficult to bring them back because immediately the joy comes. The moment you start serving, that you cannot explain. That's, that's the law of nature, that's the rhythm. The moment you relate to others, you try to diffuse your ego by relating to the others, immediately it gives a joy. In sharing, there's a joy which has to be felt. And that feeling gives the motivation. Immediately it gives the motivation. And that's the thing which Bhagavan is trying to bring home to Arjuna, this Karma Yoga again and again. So we will now just enter into this, just entering to the real Bhagavad Gita. So as we proceed, we will find this idea, how lofty ideas are coming one after the other to explain, uh, to explain uh, uh, the, this other dimension of our existence, the spiritual dimension, without taking care of which there can be never any fulfillment in life. So that's what with which we uh, stop our discussion today. We will continue uh, with uh, the succeeding slokas, which will be still uh, explaining the Karma Yoga in some uh, much higher way 
in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.